Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the Infinite Jest Book Club and Podcast and Support Group. I am Jamie, and I am joined by the usual suspects, Hime, Kevin, and Erica. I apologize. We've been away for some time. Um, uh, we were hoping to really kind of settle into some sort of schedule, maybe every two weeks, something like that. And uh, like they say in the book, uh, life seldom leans out trench coated and says, Psst, you got shit happening this week. <laughs> so, um, but all good stuff here. Um, I went to Vegas for a week. I hate Vegas. Um, so, but I survived and made it and... Yeah, trying to get a new car, but my I lost my key for my oh, I didn't lose it like I, I put it somewhere. Um, like it fell off my key fob and then like it worked. So I ordered all the shit and paid for it, but just never really had it finished. So when some kids like broke into my car or something and they took my fucking key that is worthless to them. But now my car is worthless to me until I get a new key. Uh, so, so yeah, just crazy life stuff here and then mix in Easter and all of these other things. Uh, but it is great to see you guys again and uh, really looking forward to jumping back in. Uh, so I believe that we had left off um, after the Port Washington meet, right? Where Pemulus had some pre-match nausea, but then uh, miraculously came back to win because his opponent fell mysteriously and psychedelically ill. Um, I think it's safe to assume that there were some substances um, being shared, even if unwittingly. And now we are on to the Ennett House, right? Yep. All right. So uh, Anybody want to start us off here on uh, the Ennett House? I'm just trying to find it here. But um, so the Ennett House is the Ennett House uh, Alcohol and Substance Abuse Recovery House, I think is what it's called. Um, and so uh, it kind of sounds like um, I, I've never had occasion or uh, the privilege to be in a halfway house, but it sounds like kind of after people uh, detox or whatever from their uh, substance of choice, and it, it, again, it sounds like they kind of got their shit enough together that they're not going to be in medical peril 
um, you know, that they no longer need medical attention. And this is when they would end up at a halfway house. Um, so we have, through the book, we've had some uh, introduction to the Ennett House um, with little snippets. I know we uh, had some of the intake things, uh, which should, you know, should have given us a clue as to who was who and really what kind of mayhem is happening there. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I have heard about in research and things, um, one, one of the things that happens certainly with people, long-term drug addicts, is their brain kind of stops growing right about where they started, um, you know, really getting into these substances. So a lot of times when you're reading this and it's like, this sounds like a fucking preschool. Well, a lot of it is. A lot of these addicts are really, pardon the pun, but they're kind of half-baked, right? They're, they're, they're not done. Their brain is not fully formed. Uh, it never had a chance to fully form and mature. And that doesn't even take into account the damage that they, I'm going to say may have, but probably did, um, you know, to their whole body, but certainly starting with their brain. So, um, you know, I know the first time I read this, again, having never been in a halfway house, it's easy to think that some of these things are exaggerated. Um, but I, I don't know that a lot of them are. Um, Pretty so, accurate. Yep. Uh, so, all right. I'm here. Again, I use the PDF version of this, at least for these calls. So I'm not flipping through here. But okay. And this explains it. So, yeah, we go right from Port Washington to the uh, Ennett House in the same chapter. Um, I'm finding the spot because we go from a uh, Teddy shocked. Um, and yeah, so at the end here, Hale will murder his boards and shocked may well be among those jockeying to sit near him. He'd be the first to admit. On two, Hal now kicks a second serve to the ad court with so much left-handed top on it that it almost kicks up over Port Washington's number two guy's head. It's clearly carnage up there on show courts one and two. Dr. Tavis will be irrepressible. The gallery is barely even applauding. Um, so, again, we I know we wrapped Port Washington, but that's kind of what's happening here. This meat is done all but the fat lady singing. Uh, shocked and his man play. The next line, both Pat, I don't know if it's Montesian or Montesian, and I'll probably say both. But Pat Montesian and Gately's AA sponsor like to remind Gately how this new resident, Jeffrey Day, 
could end up being an invaluable teacher of patience and tolerance for him, Gately, as an at-house staff. Um, Jamie, can I get an approx page? I just lost my spot. I've got like 10 bookmarks. Yeah. Um, I, it's I, I, 270. Thank okay. you, Hime. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, we kind of... It, it seems like, and at least for th at this point, I think it may be helpful for us to kind of combine the Ennett House and the AA just in terms of big picture stuff, because you're going to see a lot of the same things, um, a lot of the same themes, um, namely here, Jeffrey Day where he starts out. So then at 46 years of age, I came here to learn by cliches is what day says to Charlotte treat right after Randy asks what time it was at eight 25 to turn my will and life over to the care of cliches one day at a time. Easy does it. First things first courage is fear that has said its prayers. Ask for help. Thy will not mine be done. It works. If you work it grow or go keep coming back. Um, so what do you guys think of these little tropes? Um, you know, the, these, these mindless AA sayings um, that, that seemingly everyone has a problem with until they don't. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> uh, yeah. They may be cliches, but man, so many of them are true that they work. <laughs> like applied to any aspect of your life, but especially addiction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And just think about what we were just saying. Um, you know, yes, these are Jeffrey Day is a grown man. He is intelligent. He is all of those mm -hmm. things. And he's having a real hard time with relying on these grade school lessons, yeah. but you got to start somewhere. Um, mm -hmm. You know, another AA saying that I, I, it, it speaks to me because it reminds me sometimes um, it says your best thinking got you here. <laughs> um, you know, and a lot of times I think of that, you know, and almost in response to someone like Jeffrey Day saying, what the fuck? You know, I, I got to go back to this shit. And it's like, well, no, not really, Jeff. You uh, you were doing a great job out there. You know, your best. You've got a better idea. Please share it with us. Um, true. That is really that is really true. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think it's right in the in this section where uh, I, I believe it's ostensibly through Gately's POV where he's saying, "Look, I, I I give this guy about a month before he's tipping his cap to parking meters," um, and 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 yeah, and as ridiculous as it seems and sounds. You know, yes, Jeffrey Day, who's here questioning everything, 
if left to his own devices, and again, no one's got a gun to his head making him chase quaaludes with red wine, but if left to his own devices where he's saying this bullshit doesn't work, he would be tipping his hat to parking meters. Um, so I, I think a big part of AA and recovery, and you know, and they say the first step is admitting you have a problem and blah, blah, blah. But I really think that it is giving, like giving up this idea that you know everything or giving up this idea that you don't need to do this, you know? No, no, I don't need to do the shit that worked for everybody else. Maybe you didn't see my intake form, um, but yeah, I get that this worked for that drooling idiot over there, but I'm not that drooling idiot. Can we get onto the real shit? Yeah. Um, I yeah I I love it. in this section we can see I love how he 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 shows that how AA does work and it's it's hard to believe that it does and and for and and we can see all these different personalities for for the personality of Jeffrey Day for example he's smart he analyzes everything making everything but he's I don't know I'm going to use the word cynic maybe he's a little bit cynic he doesn't he and and it's so easy to 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 me at least I used to go to AA meetings I I'm not going to say I'm smart or intelligent but for me it was that I, I'd love to see these different perspectives and I feel I can connect I can relate to some of them I can see how this disbelief in cliches you hear so many of them so many times it's tiring and it makes you mm -hmm. feel like this is not going to work. This is not going to help me. And it does. And when you see um, Gately, for example, who trusts so blindly in, yes, this works. And he repeats to himself the cliches and he knows or he doesn't, I don't know, but he believes it is going to work. I, I just see, I, I can I can say that it's just so interesting to see this different perspective mm -hmm. from AA. It's so real. Yeah. Yes. And like how we were saying, you know, what Jamie was saying about how, like at the, at the point you start using, that's where your brain stops developing. So I feel like a lot of some of the resistance and stuff, it's almost like, yeah, because he's working with like the intellect of like a 12 or 13 year old. He's being stubborn, like, no, I don't want to do it. I don't care who it worked for type thing. Like, Gotta take into account that you know at whatever age he started using he kind of yeah he still be like crazy intelligent and intellectual and everything but certain aspects of the brain might not have developed properly for him or for any addict for all of us right. like that have been there before like it's almost like you're stuck in that child's mentality like no I don't want to yeah yeah, yeah that's so good yeah exactly so we got a lot in this section yeah and you know there is yeah I, I don't. I don't know how much power to assign to the uh, the disease, the alcohol, the mm. the will, or whatever. But at some point, your brain becomes rewired by these chemicals, and you know, I, I I'll generalize here, but I think that a lot of addicts, even deep down know that what they're doing is not going to help them. They know that it's not right. Um, you know, I still smoke cigarettes. I've got to quit so bad. I know it. And, and uh, you know, but 
I run out of cigarettes and you know, my brain is wired almost. It's and it's, it's not even a conscious choice almost. It's just what you do. Um, and we all want to and do play tricks on ourselves. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to quit tomorrow. I, you know, yeah, yeah. Or, or with booze, you know what? It's raining today. It's a great day to sit at the bar. It's sunny today. I'm going to go to the bar. There was an earthquake. I should probably have a drink. You know, whatever it is, that's all there is. Um, and so here's this by Charlotte treat looks over to Gately for some sort of help or staff enforcement of dogma. The poor bitch is clueless. All of them are clueless. Still mm. Gately reminds himself that he too is probably mostly still clueless. Still, even after all these hundreds of days, I didn't know that I didn't know is another of the slogans that looks so shallow and then all of a sudden drops off and deepens like the wa lobster waters off the North Shore. As Gately fidgets his way through daily AM meditation, he always tries to remind himself daily that this is all an Ennett House residency is supposed to do. Buy these poor yutzes some time some thin pie slice of abstinent time till they can start to get a whiff of what's true and deep, almost magic under the shallow surface of what they are trying to do. Um, and I think that is really poignant. And I, I think it also echoes a little bit to the kids at the tennis academy. Um, you know, if you remember, they, they talked about the fundamentals, you drill the fundamentals until they are so routine, you can do them in your sleep. And we talked about that in that section, you know, when the fundamentals are so routine that you can do them without thinking about it, well, that's when you have additional bandwidth to do other things. So let, let's talk about tennis. So you have done an overhand serve so many times that it is literally muscle memory. Okay. So now, well, the ball's up in the air. Maybe you can check it. You, oh shit. There's mom sitting in the car or sitting right there. You know, the ball's in the air. You're getting ready to hit it. As you think about, fuck, I've got that big paper due on Monday. You know, so there are things that you are able to do where when you first started playing tennis, you, you do all that stuff. You're going to miss the ball and you're going to look like an asshole. Um, so taken here to recovery, what Gately slash the narrator is saying, the role of the Ennett House is, is just to not drink to not do your substance, to learn a new routine without it. And it is quite literally like training wheels. Um, because again, all of these people for better, uh, no, not for better or for worse, for mostly worse, but for however long it has been, 
this has been their life. Okay. They may have worked Jeffrey day. Uh, I, I believe he's the lawyer, right. Or tiny you will, whatever. Um, you know, these people are able to hold down a job. Some of them may be wild drinking or drugging on the clock. Certainly all of them with the thought never far from their mind about where that first drink or that first hit or that first whatever, where it's coming from and when. And, you know, Gately here is saying that these fucking guys are clueless. Um, you know, not in the can you conjugate a verb sort of thing, but in the life thing. Um, so, so, so that's, that's what he's saying. It's, it's almost like, you know, if you can quote unquote trick these fuckers to just get some sober time, it's, you know, one of the great things in human psychology, people try harder not to lose something than they do to attain something new. Um, so in a sense, they need to be tricked into losing that but also seeing what they have. Um, I would say that it is a lot easier for someone with two days sober to grab a drink, uh, just like me with my cigarettes. Um, you know, I went a day without smoking last week because I felt like shit. And the next day I thought, well, you know, I could probably, uh, yeah, right. Um, but if, I hadn't smoked for a month, I've got to think it would have been a lot harder or a lot easier for me to say, well, you know what? I haven't smoked for a month. Frankly, I feel a lot better. Maybe I'll skip today too. Um, so I, I kind of feel like that is at least one of the primary or first goals of Ennett House. Um, because I believe it's after 30 days, they have to have a job, right? Yeah. Um, so you can see the really, while it, it does seem like there's a lot of time to sit around and fuck off, they do really try to instill a regiment and still some sort of routine so that, so that there is something taking the place of drugs and alcohol and you don't just sit around thinking about drugs and alcohol. Um, so yeah, we, we, we met some, we meet some really uh, interesting people here. Jeffrey Day, certainly one of them. Uh, Randy Lenz, Charlotte Treat, um, Poor old Charlotte Treat, all of nine weeks clean, is trying to look primmer and primmer. She looks again over to Gately, lying on his back, taking up the living room's whole other sofa, one sneaker up. Uh, his eyes almost close. Only staff get to lie on the couches. Denial, Charlotte finally says, is not a river in Egypt. How's about the both of you shut the fuck up, says Emil Minty. 
Jeffrey, not Jeff, Jeffrey has been at Annette House six days. Uh, so he came from the infamous detox where he was the only white person, which Gately Betts must have been broadening for him. Um, and I, I think that is interesting. <laughs> I don't I, I don't really want to get sidetracked here, but um, Gately's language and word choices would certainly not pass muster in uh, 2023 <laughs> America. Um, he, you know, the N word, the F word, all of, all of these words he's very familiar with, but I do think that this part, you know, again, with the caveat that it is narration, um, but just Gately say, Gately having the awareness to know that Jeffrey Day being the only white person in detox must have really opened some windows for him shows some sort of racial awareness and racial empathy. Um, I don't think Gately is racist. I, I, I would certainly hear arguments otherwise. Um, I just, you know, people of a certain age, um, mine and probably older, um, words that we don't use in polite society today. Um, the, the, the rules weren't quite as clear cut in the mid nineties. Um, what words were acceptable in which company and in which context. And I will say that, well, I, fuck, I would say it today too. I think that you can use, words that people don't use without it affecting your being. Um, you know, I don't think any, everybody that says the N word is a racist. I don't think that is a case closed thing. Um, Doug Stanhope, who is a fantastic comedian and I would recommend everybody checks him out, but he has a bit where he says, he talks about words and he's like, how can a word offend anybody? It's a sound that you make with your mouth. Like, blah, 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 blah. It's the same thing. And he says, anybody that is offended by any word in any language probably has parents who weren't fit to raise a child. Um, I am not willing to take... That might be a bridge too far. Um, but... I do think that it is not as cut and dry as, well, this guy's a racist because he says the N or he said the N word. This guy is a homophobe because he says the F word. Um, you know, all of those things where we do, we will run into more language in here that, you know, probably rightly so might make you cringe a little bit and certainly would in daily discourse today. And I would say that those were words that were used a lot more frequently back then. Um, it's funny that you say that, Jamie, because last week Eric and I were talking and I was like, man, that was so harsh of Gately to call Charlotte like said that bitch is clueless. Yeah. I was like, wow, like that's that to me, that seemed like a little 
off base for him, you know? Like, yeah. It surprised me a little bit, you know, I have to say, because he seems a little bit more sweet, I guess, or just like not, like not caring enough to call her a bitch. You know what I mean? Like just to say that, I'm surprised he didn't just say that girl is clueless or, you know what I mean? Like, so I definitely was like, yeah, man, that was, that was like a little cutting, um, you know, because she can't help it. She's only like a month sober. You know what I mean? Right, right. And I think the word poor in there is telling. He doesn't yeah. just, he doesn't, he doesn't say that dumb bitch is clueless. He says the poor bitch is clueless. Yeah. All of them are clueless still. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's it, a great point. And it, it, it did, um, yeah, it does kind of catch your attention. Um, like we know very little about Charlotte Treat. She really hasn't even been properly introduced. And here's Gately referring to her as the poor bitch. Um, so yeah. So, you know, there's some really funny stuff in here. Um, Jeffrey Day, his intake estimated that Day's been in and out of a blackout for most of the last several years. And his wiring is still, as they say, a bit frayed. His detox, where they barely have the resources to give you a librium if you start to DT, must have been just real grim because Jeffrey D. alleges it never happened. <laughs> now his story is he just strolled into Ennett House on a lark one day from his home, 10 plus clicks away, and found the place too hilariously egregious to want to ever leave it's the newcomers with some education that are the worst according to gene m they identify their whole selves with their head and the disease makes its command headquarters in the head um and i'm sure that all of you guys have read slash heard this is water right mm-hmm and yeah, for any of our listeners, if you haven't, I would highly encourage you to check it out. It's on YouTube. Uh, there's a, a, a recording of it. Um, and I mean, if if someone were to say, I, I want to hear or I want you to summarize Infinite Jest in 25 minutes, I don't know that a better job could be done than simply listening to this as water. Um, so many of the themes are prevalent throughout, um, you know, especially the, you know, the most adults who commit suicide, shoot themselves in the head. Um, you know, so you, you can see that here um, we've got Johnette Faults, um, who is also a live-in staffer. Um, one of the things with Johnette, and I'm not sure if we've gotten to it yet or if it's later in the book, um, but it is mentioned that Johnette is less and less present at the Annette House because she, uh, she is spending more and more time with her husband who is in a wheelchair. Don't know, uh, you know, if or what that may mean in the grander scheme of things. Um, but she is a live-in staffer and 
she has been taking more time off as the book or narrative progresses uh, to take care of her husband who is in a wheelchair. Um, and yes, yeah, so that's John. So, so basically this is really just um, kind of a look at, at what these what these poor bitches are going through um, because, because they are, and they don't even know it. And it is almost childlike here. Um, you know, think of a kid that keeps trying to do something stupid and you know, they're going to get hurt and you tell them, no, you can't do that stupid. And they know, they know, no, I can't do that because, you know, the last time I teased the dog, he bit me. I shouldn't tease the dog again, but that's what I do. Um, so, you know, there, there is a big part of that. Um, so yeah, uh, personally, Gately gives Jeffrey D like a month at the outside before he's back tipping his hat to parking meters. Um, and, and then, you know, here again is kind of a turn and this um, to me, this kind of shows the difference between the newcomers and the old heads. So, so Gately, you know, um, his default is this fucking guy. He's going to be here a month tops before he's back out doing his thing. And then he kind of catches himself, except who is Gately to judge who will end up getting the gift of the program versus who won't he needs to remember. Um, so, so I think that that shows a little bit of, you know, that Gately has progressed and that these goofball cliches and, and, and this stuff that has no medical or scientific backing, no reason that it will work, but it does work. Also, I, I think this is showing that People can be changed, um, you know, through Gately's recovery. I, I think, you know, in Gately's first month or so, I don't think there would have been that caveat. There just would have been Gately saying, this poor fucker, you know, he's taken up someone's bed who, who might actually have a chance at recovery. What is he even doing? Um, and again, this right where this chapter started and it's repeated a couple times in different ways. He says here, he tries to feel like day is teaching him patience and tolerance. It takes great patience and tolerance not to want to punt the soft little guy out into the Comav ravine and open up his bunk to somebody that really desperately wants it, the gift. Except who is Gately to think he can know who wants it and who doesn't deep down. Um, so, so that is really just repeating the same two thoughts in almost the same words. Um, and there are a lot of sections like this in the book that have caused me to wonder, and I think I've mentioned this um, in the other Ennett House section with the parables just being thrown out. What if that was a group narration? 
each throwing something out. And it's, it's sections like this that make me think that again, where, you know, someone may, may throw it out there, like at the beginning here, you know, about the, the patients and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, we come back around and we have the same thing repeated twice, like in the same paragraph, mm -hmm. which is unusual. Um, all right. So a little bit about the TVs. Um, so at some point in here, Day's saying, so bring on the lobotomist. Bring him on, I say. Um, and so Gately has been completely substance-free for 421 days today. Um, so that's good for him. Uh, and at house this year is nothing like the freak show it was when Gately went through. That may or may not be true. Um, Gately is certainly not the same person he was when he came into uh, the Ennett house. Um, so Charlotte Treat, and I, I believe it comes out here that Charlotte is a former prostitute. Um Ms. Charlotte Treat with a carefully made up ruined face is watching the viewer. Um, yeah. And they talk about the needle point, how, you know, Gately has kind of developed that, uh, you know, that sense for, you know, there's something about that needle sliding in that just, you know, what, what do you guys make of that? You know, where, where Gately is there observing, and almost predicting what others may be, you know, substituting their habits for. I guess it's just him, like, he's just, like, just laying there observing everything. And, you know, I, I'm sure he's probably part of his job a little bit, I think that they say is for him to be kind of keeping an eye on all, everybody in there reporting back to Pat, like, Hey, you know, Charlotte might be this or Randy's like, you know, he's showing kind of a weird, some weird signs of, you know, maybe getting, you know, maybe we need to do a urine on him or whatever, you know? So I think, I think he's, you know, I think he kind of probably cares a little, you know, he knows Charlotte's got a little bit of time, so he's probably a little nervous for her, you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. crap, I hope she's not slipping, you know, she was doing pretty well. Um, yeah, yeah, whereas, like, you know, he, then he also said, like, I think when later on in this one, Jeffrey and uh, uh, Randy kind of are getting into it, you know, and they're kind of arguing, and uh, he's, like, saying, like, oh, yeah, you know, this could just be, Jeffrey looking for like a way out, you know? So I think he's like sort of just sort of uh, keeping an eye on everybody and, and sort of screening, like they say, mm -hmm. what's going on here. And, you know, he probably knows who who's good to go and who's pretty like, you know, like I don't think he's thinking Bruce Green is like gonna go be drinking or anything like that or doing drugs. So I think he, he probably knows who to keep an eye on and who not to. And, you know, that's, you know, I think that that was just, yeah, yeah, probably just yeah. a, little, a little bit of that, you know. Sure. Um, yeah, and then we get into Bert Smith, who has no hands and feet. So, again, just 
grotesqueries. Um, I remember hearing something about smoking years ago. It obviously worked wonders. <laughs> they said, if, if smoking did to your outside what it did to your inside, you probably wouldn't smoke anymore. Um, so I think there might be part of that happening here because you know, someone could rightfully look at Jeffrey Day with maybe that perfect buzz. And and that's the thing with alcoholics and drug addicts. You want to see them at their best. It's not sober. It's with it's with that perfect buzz. That's when you're going to see them and say, now there's a guy that's got his shit together. And I think that it, it may, in, in addition to anything else here, um, I think this may be just really putting it in your face that not everybody is noticeable as an addict or an alcoholic, but there are some, you know, this fucking guy doesn't have any hands or feet. Um, and then, yeah, here's this section. Gately, who's been on living staff here four months now, believes Charlotte treats devotion to needlepoint is suspect. All those needles in and out of all that thin, sterile white cotton stretched drum tight in its round frame. The needle makes a kind of thud and squeak when it goes in the cloth. It's not much like the soundless pop and slide of a real cook and shoot, but still, she takes such great care. Like, it almost seems to be Gately slipping into a daydream of using, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Um like, that's what it seems like to me. And then, you know, just like that, Gately's wondering about the ceiling. Um, and again, we know that later in the book, uh, the ceiling kind of breathes, right? And, and talks to Gately. Um, we got a little bit. So, yeah, these this is a motley fucking crew, to say the least. Um, you know, just, yeah. Uh, Lens is... What, what do you guys make of Randy Lens? I, I, obviously, we know his full character arc. Um, but... You know, anything that jumps out here. So also in here is Randy Lenz, who Lenz is a small time organic Coke dealer who wears sport coats rolled up over his parlor tanned forearms and is always checking his pulse on the inside of his wrists. We, we were talking about poor Tony last last weekend and how it's so hard to read that section describing what, what is happening mm -hmm. to him. I don't know, now that we're talking about Randy Lenz, I don't know which is worse, reading about what happens to poor Tony or the way he is or what he does and what happens to him or reading about this guy. It's, it's again, I, to me at least, it's just it's hard to read. He, he, he makes me feel all these, yucky feelings i definitely dislike him i do wish him ill i do i do read the lines <laughs> but it's very unpleasant i don't and and i don't know i don't remember what happened the first time i read the book it's because i know what he's going to do right, right. that makes it worse right makes me really hate the guy 
but it's it's yeah it takes i really like the perspective that gaily takes it really does take patience and tolerance to be able to read about this guy yeah yeah um and yeah i love this like gately uh i don't secretly view it as a delicious fuck up um i think it's fucking hysterical so so lens was basically it seems like lens was being used as like an undercover um to bust these uh the brazilian guys right yeah mm -hmm. um uh, so a hundred grams of Coke and Lens just sat in the hotel room and freebased most of it so that he, so that the DEA more than likely gave him the drugs. So, you know, they were good. Um, and, and yeah, he basically just did all the drugs so that there wasn't anything left to sell to the Brazilians so the Brazilians want to kill him because they probably gave him the money right. for this hundred grams. The DEA probably wants to arrest him, if not kill him, because they gave him all the drugs. And so it says, um, having screwed both sides in what Gately uh, secretly views a delicious fuck up. Lens has since May been the most wanted he's probably ever been. Um, does this remind you of anything else in the book? This situation in and of itself? I, I know it's a little convoluted, but do you guys, could one of you guys maybe explain the Fackelman thing at the end? Um, where, where basically it, it's, it's very similar, right? Yeah. He takes a very large bet from, from sixties, Bob, I believe. Oh. Oh. Um, but again, because of a miscommunication, he put the bet in wrong or something. I, I, I don't remember the particulars and it is confusing, but he put the bet in wrong. Sixties, Bob thought he lost the bet. So he gave Fackelman a briefcase full of money. Fackelman took the money to deliver it to the bookie. When he got there, the bookie gave him another briefcase full of money because he thought the guy had won the bet. So here's Fackelman with two briefcases full of money, and he goes and buys drugs with it. Um, so, so very similar here to Randy Lenz. Uh, the DEA says – because. Look, you guys know that typically people don't start working for the DEA because they saw a want ad. Um, <laughs> my guess is that Randy Lenz got busted with some weight or something. And this was the way to get out of what he had coming. He decided to turn states and says, hey, guys, I can bring you some real guys. Um, so, again, he... Lens ends up having the money and the drugs, although the drugs not for very long because he smokes them all. Um, but again, Randy Lens is uh, there are some people that don't like Randy Lens. 
Um, so we find out that, so a lot of these peculiarities that at least to me jumped out, like, hold on, this guy's living in a fucking halfway house and yet they let him walk home alone from AA mm. meetings. How is that a thing? But, you know, taking into account all of this, probably someone says, well, fuck, he's got to walk alone. He can't trust anybody. Right. Um, you know, so there is that. I do love some of these characterizations. Um, what? Uh, like, basically, the Coke deal. Randy Lenz, no. Where it basically says that he's... Uh, kind of smarmy uh like all low-level coke dealers are um and yeah and and i think that you know if anybody knows any low-level coke dealers they you know they are almost just handsome enough to to make you feel okay buying drugs from them but certainly not enough to introduce them to your sister <laughs> Uh, when, uh, when when it says a couple pages later that Randy considers himself kind of a hiply sexual artist intellectual. Yes. Yeah, I forgot about that part. I cracked up. And it's like, that's why he like doesn't like, he's like almost like, um, uh, he's like kind of bothered by Jeffrey because Jeffrey is like kind of like maybe mm -hmm. smart and I think Randy finds, mm -hmm. finds like oh maybe this guy is like you know like um, in competition for like you know mm. who's like the smart guy at you know which coming from Randy just you know I barely believe that Jeffrey is like as smart as it he says he is but I yep. definitely don't think Randy is you know Randy's like it's totally bullshit you know <laughs> yep. Jeffrey, it's like questionable he went to Brown so it's like it, it's you know that's still questionable believe me yeah yes i know a lot of brown kids and <laughs> cool and stuff but it's not it's not the ivy league of ivy leagues it's you know the the you know sure the, i don't want yeah and no offense to any brown graduates it's still the ivy leagues you know it, it definitely is yeah yeah it's, it's like that joke what do you call the person who graduated last from medical school doctor <laughs> um, and yeah i love this part about bruce bruce green and mildred bonk um so this person uh took mildred bonk who took their daughter and left him this summer for some guy that told her he ranched fucking longhorn cows east of atlantic city <laughs> which is just hysterical to me um and I believe that that is picked up later in the book. Someone says, are there even fucking ranches out? Is there anything out there? Um, so, so, yeah. So there's more talk here about uh, Lens and his compulsions, his need to be north of everything, possibly even northeast. Um, and then... Yeah, uh, another for Don G. Charlotte Treat has violently red hair, as in hair the color of like a red crayon. The reason she doesn't have to work an outside menial job is she's got some strain of the virus or like HIV. Former prostitute reformed. Why do prostitutes, when they get straight, always try and get so prim? 
it's like long repressed librarian ambitions come flooding out. Um, Charlotte T has a cut rate whore's hard, half pretty face. Her eyes lassoed with shadow around all four lids. Um, so I, I, again, here, you know, let's compare that. Charlotte T has a cut rate whore's hard, half pretty face. Her eyes lassoed with shadow around all four lids to where earlier her face is described as ruined. Um, now, you could certainly say that the two of those are synonymous, but it it really sounds to me like two different people narrating. Um, you know, if... So if all that someone, if all that the narrator is able to say here, Ms. Charlotte Treat with a carefully made up ruined face is watching blah, blah, blah. Mm. You know, so you would think that if the narrator had the ability to expound upon that ruined face, that would have been a great place to do it. Instead, we have an interlude about Randy Lenz, and then Charlotte T has a cut-rate whore's hard, half-pretty face. Her eyes lassoed with shadow around all four lids. It, it strikes me as weird that the same per the same thing, not even the same person, the same feature of the same person is described similarly but with much more detail um this far away in the you know this close to each other in the narrative but jamie don't you th do you think that this is a, like an example of what you guys were saying maybe a bunch of episodes ago about the whole fractal thing i do you know because then we get like right after that we get like probably our third or fourth clown reference mm -hmm. you know I mean? where she looks like a mean clown Joel was like a clown in front of the mirrors. We got the clown mask, you know what I mean? So certainly it's like, I, I kind of take it as like, it's just sort of like that idea. And, you know, again, I have no idea what the hell that means, but you know, it's like every time that happens and it happens, you know, this is pretty close just to several pages, but yeah, I definitely think yeah. that's like what they're, he's getting at with that whole fractal thing, you know, just, um, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Kevin. I don't know what the fuck it means, but that is that is the impression that it makes on me. Um, I almost, like, I am constantly reminded, you guys remember, like, in elementary school, they would make those pieces of paper and you would fold them up and put them on your hands and fucking, you know... Yeah. <laughs> This kind of reminds me, like, a lot of these sections are as if someone took that piece of paper and wrote the things on it, maybe wrote this chapter on it, and then folded it up all those different ways and said, all right, let's see how it came out. Well, here's Charlotte Treat, who has a ruined face. And here's Randy Lenz, who's a fucking psychopath. Oop. And here's Charlotte Treat again, but this time she has a whore's half-broken face. Um, so 
it seems that the order of things, while I'm sure it is important, I almost feel like it's the repetition that is most important. Yeah. Um, you Which know, just like AA. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And, um, and maybe it shows the growth where at first in AA, you know, I keep coming back, whatever. It's all, you know, fine. All right. I'm going to stay sober by keep coming back to more meetings. I don't fucking get it, but I do know how to keep coming back. And then at some point, you do move on to more maybe seemingly deeper things that ultimately say the same thing. Um, Gately, Gately is almost 29 and sober and just huge. Uh, Gately looks less built than poured. The smooth immovability of an Easter Island statue. Um, so, so yeah, he's got a goofy haircut, um, and it tells a little bit about his day. Um, so Fultz, the female living staffer, is at an NA convention in Hartford for the long Interdependence Day weekend. Okay, so that, sh you know, is a little bit of a hint of where in the world we are. This is inter Interdependence Day weekend. Um, Gately's not hot on NA. And then again, here, um, there's, there's a difference between abstinence versus recovery, Gately knows. Except, of course, who is Gately to judge what works for who? He just knows what seems like it works for him today. Um, again, the same kind of thing. Uh the white flag group. Um, Pat M is doing at nine o'clock and she has application interviews, two females and one male. Um, I can't remember if we know any of these people. I don't know if one of these is Joel or whatever. Yeah, um, must be, I think, yeah. I, I, I think so. And probably one is uh, maybe one, maybe Marath as well. Um, so Gately's intestines moan. Um, uh, a little bit about Pat. Gately uh, kind of says that he might be in love with her, right? Yeah. Um, which is interesting. Um, and any thoughts on Gately maybe being in love with her? I think that's probably, I think at some point, all these people would probably be in love with just about anybody who's like showing them kindness, you know? Right. I Wait. completely agree. With Go her, ahead. he I may was Sorry, just a question. With her, as in with Pat or, or, or Joelle? With Pat. Pat. Um, I, I don't know where it is probably right around here but I, but i remember gately says he he thinks he might yeah. be in love with her or something like that uh -huh. Uh -huh. um and yeah i think you're right on kevin um one of the things that they say in aa 
is that you shouldn't um well first off you shouldn't date a newcomer to aa but they also say that you should wait a year before get you know starting a new relationship yeah um so and the reason being i i think just like you said kevin um i mean think of what not that pat has given gately anything but think of what she has given him the opportunity to earn for himself namely sobriety um and now juxtapose that with pamela hoffman jeep who gately may have loved in his addict life what did she give him maybe the clap i don't, I don't know um but it's very easy to see especially at this point how gately would be confused about something as straightforward as whether or not he loves somebody um and so we get we keep moving here and then again we echo back um Jim, can i say just one can i uh, please the, the bit about pat's dogs and stuff yep um you know that's i think just a totally great party you could just picture these like totally like like on the way out dogs all scammed mm. up and whatnot and then her telling don to tell them hey pet the dogs you know it'll be good and then if they actually do that's like the like you're basically you're in like flynn because it gives away that you're basically will do anything to get off drugs right um, i have a, a technical question you guys might be able to um uh, we're on page 278 at the end of that second paragraph this is like a um like a uh i guess a writing thing that i'm kind of noticing and i don't know what it like if it's uh a type a way of writing a sentence but just like that that last line where he's where it says um it'll betray a level of desperation a desperate willingness that pat m says is just about all she goes by comma deciding now i guess i find that that i'm noticing quite a bit that some sentences are ended with a single word after a comma and is that is that something like that happens all the time i i guess i'm trying to suss out is this is when when i see that is this a specific narrator that keeps doing this mm -hmm. um where it's like it and, and when i read it i like i notice it because i like the way that it like kind of ends the sentence where it's like yes well, it's, yeah. you know it's basically all she goes by and then they could say period but then they say deciding or sometimes it'll be like somebody's name yes that's what i was gonna say where where i have noticed it more is somebody's name yeah and so um, and, and i and, and i i think i have my suspicions about who it is but um, I'm just curious if that's, you know, I, if that's anything like that's just like, oh, yeah, that's super common in writing. You just don't read enough other books besides this one. I don't think it's that, Kevin. And it both, yeah, I don't think it's common. Yeah. Like when I read it and when I'm listening to it, I agree with you. I like it. And especially with the names, um, because 
it can get confusing, especially when it's narrative and not a quote. If we're talking about two or three different people, it is hard to know who you're talking about. And I like that at the end, where at first it almost feels like redundant or even condescending. It's helpful to me. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that, never, it's never like, but on the on in the same sense though, it's never one. It's never necessary. If I just go back and read the sentence and think about it for a second, usually I can go like, oh yeah, he's, that that's this or that's Bruce or whoever. He kind of did it with Bruce Green about the whole um, on the couple pages before. Um, you know, they say by Ennett House standards, major league sleep troubles, comma, green, and then it says something else, but he does do it a lot. And I, I just one thing that I sort of have always picked up, picked up on, and now in this reading have really sort of like started to almost look for, you know, and oh. it's just something I figured um, that maybe you would say, oh, that's something that like happened in Hamlet all the time or something that you just, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I am not familiar with the the trope. This is certainly where I noticed it the first time, and I don't know that I've noticed it elsewhere. And I do think that it probably is, if it's not a clue to a narrator, um, it is just, you know... It doesn't happen in like the morass steeply, you know. Like it's like it. It only kind of comes in like here and there during sort of specific stuff. So that's the only reason why I kind of have sort of picked up on it, and now I'm sort of starting to pay attention to it. And you know, like I yeah, said, we'll yeah. I think that's a great point, and you know, hopefully we can see something in the text that that may be able to put our help us put our finger on that. We will, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so as we continue, here's the line that Kevin had mentioned. This threatens the self-concept of a Randy Lenz that thinks of himself as a kind of hiply sexy artist intellectual. Um, small-time dealers never conceptualize themselves as just small-time dealers, kind of like whores <laughs> never do. Um <laughs> Which, again, we can question the message and the statement, but at the very least, it seems out of place because we've kind of covered this. You know, mm. what Randy Lenz's self-concept is, what he thinks of himself, how he sees himself, um, what the narrator's impression of small-time Coke dealers is. Um, so we've... You know, it, it seems again like we've covered that, but we're circling back to, you know, maybe maybe paint the background a little bit more. Um, and all right, so the ceiling's color could be called done if forced. Um, time is passing, and it house reeks of passing time. Mm. It is the humidity of early sobriety, hanging and palpable. You can hear ticking in clockless rooms here. Um, so just everything, you know, Gately changes the angle of one sneaker, puts the arm behind his head. His head has real weight and pressure. Um, so, yeah, time is 
going by and that's all that you have as a new person in recovery that's all you're looking for is to you know put a little bit of distance between you and that last drink you and that last drug so that you have something to fight for or something to not lose um, instead of not losing the drug or the the substance now you're fighting to not lose that sober time um obviously the motif of time comes up big time with gately mm -hmm. later in the book where he talks about building a wall on each side of his heartbeat and living in that moment mm -hmm. um you know obviously to a much smaller extent there where where gately at that point is literally talking about living in that second and a half between his heartbeats and here they're, they're talking about you know putting hours together stringing hours together into a day stringing days together into a week um, and Gately rem remembers his first six months, he'd felt the sharp edge of every second that went by in the freak show dreams, nightmares beyond the worst DTs he'd ever heard of. Um, and we, you know, nightmares are a very frequent repeating motif here. Uh, fuck, everybody has nightmares, right? There, there's... Mm -hmm. Um, go ahead. And, uh, thank you. Um, I, I, I was thinking somebody, it's probably a difficult question to answer. Somebody asked me, what is infinite jazz about? I didn't mm. know how to answer that question, but to me, this is it like Gately and, 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 and the fact that AA, so this is about AA and drugs and addiction and how to, de what to decide, how to think you have the power to the conversations between Marat and, 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 Helen, uh, about this, like you have, it seems to me that it all comes down to that, like the, basically the lesson to me, the message, the point of the book or the story is that, that you have the power to decide what to think, what to choose. So even if you have the entertainment in front of you or the drug or the substance or whatever it is, it's in you to have the happy ending. So when Gately is doing this work and the practice and at the end we can see that idea about time you can do it one second at a time he decides not to take the medicine and and stay with the pain when he's in in the in the hospital and he's actually able to do it that to me this is this is to me and it's again i think it's, it is a difficult question to answer infinite just is about this that's why he is such a big important character and the resolution and what happens with him in the end i think to me again i'm repeating i know th it, this is it yeah i think yeah. that's certainly it, it, it's certainly one of the larger themes in the book um yeah uh and then here's this section still in the nightmares um, talking about nightmares that people have nightmares about relapsing and getting high, not getting high, but having everybody think you're high, getting high with your alcoholic mom and then killing her with a baseball bat. 
what? Um, <laughs> now that pretty obviously is Gately. Um, you know, I, I, I guess it's, well, it, it's probably grossly naive to assume that Gately is the only person here with an alcoholic mom. Um, but so yeah, there, there is that, um, and what else? So we got lens with his watch and, uh, yeah. And they, you know, there's this little, like this beef brewing, right. Mm, mm, mm. And, you know, it, it's a guy thing for sure, where it's like, I'm going to be enough of an asshole that, you know, I'm being an asshole to you, <laughs> but not enough of one to get punched in the face. Mm. Um, so, uh, Gately wraps this with peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And then again, we, there is no chapter break. There is no nothing. And we are back on the bus with mm -hmm. the tennis team returning from long Island, bearing their shields, mm -hmm rather than upon them, as they say. Um, yeah, Wayne and Hal won. Um, and Pemulus. Pemulus's storky, intense, two hands off both sides opponent had gotten weirdly lethargic and then disoriented in the second set after Pemulus had lost the first in a tiebreak. After the kid had delayed play for several minutes, claiming the tennis balls were too pretty to hit, PWTA trainers had conducted him gently from the court, and the Peemster got VD, which is Junior Circuit Argo for a victory by default. Um, VD, of course, is also a venereal disease, um, though not luckily in the junior circuit argot. Um, <laughs> so the fact that Pemulus hadn't walked around with his chest out recounting the win for any ETA females <laughs> got remarked on only by Hal and Axford. Shocked was in too much knee pain to remark on much of anything and Stitt had ETA's Barry Loach inject the big purple knee with something that made Shock's eyes roll up in his head. Mm -hmm. Then during the post-meet mixer and dance, Pemulus's defaulted opponent ate from the hors d'oeuvre table without using utensils, or at mm -hmm. one point even hands, did a disco number when there wasn't any music going, and was finally heard telling the Port Washington headmaster's wife that he's always wanted to do her from behind. <laughs> Pemulus spent a lot of time whistling and staring innocently up at the prefab ceiling. Um, so, yeah, that, you know, I, I think that we are supposed to surmise, if not know, that Pemulus drugged his opponent. Right. Um, you know, and maybe it happened when he lost that first game. Um, but he, he, it sure seems like he drugged the opponent, which, mm. um, having won, I don't know if it assures Pemulus 
inclusion in the Whataburger. But we know that if he did not win here, he would not have been going to the Whataburger, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so Trolch talking to his hands a little bit. Um, and there's the talk about one of the classes. So really, uh, the Homeward Rides camaraderie was marred only by the fact that someone near the back of the bus started the passing around of a gothic fonted leaflet offering the kingdom of prehistoric England to the man who could pull Keith Freer out of Bernadette Longley. Freer had been discovered more or less Xing poor Bernadette Longley under an Adidas blanket in the very back seat on the bus trip. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, and when the leaflet hit the front half where all the females now had to sit <laughs> since September, she buried her face in her hands and flushed. And her doubles partner came all the way back to where uh, Struck and Pemulus were sitting and told them in no uncertain terms that somebody on this <laughs> bus was so immature that it was really sad. <laughs> I love that part. It's so funny. <laughs> I, I know he too. does. It's a, it's a, he has, a, it's again, right? David Foster Wallace making it so real the way he describes mm -hmm. the, the, the situation in Annette House and the different personalities interacting. And here again, it's so, such a typical situation. Kids interacting with each other, the humor, the words, the feelings. I think he's, it's so good what he does that portraying this situation so real. I agree. I, I, I agree. Um, and uh, you let me know if I'm speaking incorrectly for everyone, but I feel like we can all picture this, right? Absolutely. The, right. This chick waddling right. back, yeah, you know, exactly. one of you is very immature, yeah. you know, and then, right, exactly. and to me, you know, and it's not just this section, it's the whole fucking book, but but this wasn't a quote. This was a description of what happened, which is interesting to me, you know, maybe not even about this part, but in general, that this is very clearly someone's recounting of events that happened. This is not us watching what happened it's us hearing about what happened um which you know i i guess on top of everything else might be the infinite jest in this book that that we have all dedicated however much time to figuring out what this book is about and what it says and what happens and ultimately, when it comes right down to it, we don't fucking know. We're listening to a person, to people, to an entity, to we're listening to someone tell us what happened to them. And in a lot of cases in this book, we do get multiple different accounts. Yeah, multiple retellings 
of the same account mm -hmm. from different eyes. And, you know, it certainly, I, I think one of the themes of this book is, and certainly of This Is Water, is that something can be 100% completely true and valid and meaningful and everything else to us. And yet someone who's in the same situation, who saw and heard the same thing, could leave with a completely different impression of what they just saw and heard. Um, you know, it, maybe we get off this call and I go and someone says, hey, how'd the podcast go? And I say, good, you know what? It was nice. And we caught up on this and this and this. And someone may ask Kevin, Kevin, how'd the podcast go? He says, oh, my fucking God. I can... If there is a bigger waste of time <laughs> in my life, I have not run into it yet. We're both right. We were both here and we both saw the same thing in different ways. And, and that is valid. Um, so, uh, so let's, what else do we have here? I know that's at the end of the section. Charles Tavis was irrepressible. He did a Pierre Trudeau impersonation. No one except the driver was old enough to laugh at. And the whole mammoth traveling squad, three buses worth, got to stop and have the mega breakfast at Denny's over next to Empire Waste at like 0030 when they got in. Um, that so. would be great for that, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Put that. yeah. It, and it must have been a fucking nightmare for Denny's. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> you imagine seeing three buses pull in at 1230 and then see that it's fucking. Bunch of kids. Yeah. A bunch of, oh, fuck <laughs> that. Um, all right. So I think we will stop there. Uh, because the next section, again, is not a new chapter. There's just a couple line break, and it goes into Hal's eldest brother, got out of competitive tennis. Um, so mm -hmm. we will pick up next time mm -hmm. with uh, Oren uh, changing athletic careers, and uh, we will go from there um yeah i i know we didn't cover a ton today but i think all of this stuff especially with all of the names and i i think it's important that we have a really good grasp on who's who what they did to get where they are and what they need to do to get out of where they are mm -hmm. Um, as well as where we are in the grand scheme of things. I, I know I've told you the first time I read this book, I paid not one iota of attention to timeline. Uh, I just, I knew the book was too long. I knew I couldn't keep it straight. I also knew I wasn't going to write it down or bookmark the page and keep flick, <laughs> flipping back. So I just, I tend to extend this courtesy both when i'm reading a book or watching a movie um you know i'll be sitting there with my girlfriend watching a movie and she'll, 
What did they just say? I don't know. But if it was important in the movie, then that fucking editor better have made sure that I heard it. So right or wrong, you know, if I don't understand, like, like if I don't hear something in a movie, I'm not the first person that will say, boy, I didn't understand what he said. So my thought and hope is that what was said, not understanding that line is not going to affect my understanding of the movie or book. I extended that same courtesy to the timeline. I don't know if it was right or wrong. Um, I will be honest. I have set out to try to understand the timeline better. And I don't know that it matters. I don't necessarily know that it matters in the grand scheme of things in the book to know which of Oren and Hal's phone calls came first, uh, just as an example. And maybe those are dated. I don't even know. But I don't. I, I don't know that it's terribly important or that it changes the meaning of a book if you say, holy fuck, so this section we just read with Gately farting on the couch, actually, that was the very day that he got shot? Holy fuck, that changes everything. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it does. Right. Um, so uh, if anybody does have a particular working brain and understand this timeline and sees parts of it that are particularly relevant, please point that out. Um, my brain doesn't work like that. I, I don't know if it's the ADD. I mentioned the great Adderall shortage. So, so yeah, I, I, I'm basically walking in circles, chasing my tail. Um, but even on my best day, I like, and, and that's an ADD thing that I didn't understand. Much like in this section, they say, you don't know what you don't know or whatever. Mm -hmm. I do. I, when I was in Vegas, I saw a buddy of mine who used to live out here in Rochester. And I asked him, fuck, how long has it been since I've seen you? He's like, I've been out here eight years. You've got to be fucking kidding me. And another friend of mine had moved out there and I've been telling her, I'm going to come out and see you. I'm going to come out. So I did. And I asked her, how long have you been out here? She said, three years. My brain does not see or comprehend that my buddy Madi has been out there almost three times as long as my friend. Kai. I just can't linearly. I don't think like that. So um, that is something that I'm not going to spend a lot of time on in the book because when I can identify the timeline, it doesn't mean much to me. Yeah. But I would love to hear, um, you know, any anything that you do notice. Obviously, the difference, you know, the one thing, April 1st, I know, is a big day in the book. Uh, everything happens on April 1st, it seems mm -hmm. like. Um, so anything else uh, you guys might have about this Ennett house? What do you guys make of this larger section containing 
the Port Washington meet and then bounce to Ennett House and then back to the bus ride from the Port Washington meet and then quasi jump to Oren. Could it be a timeline thing? Do these two things happen at the same time? Is the Port Washington meet the day before Interdependence Day weekend? I I don't know. Maybe it is. This is actually, you're right. It, it's Friday the 6th, and I would probably say that this, um, the part at Ennett House is also Friday the 6th. Right, but because that has anything to do with why they're like, there's the two circles, you know, bookending each side. But I think coincidentally, maybe it is the same day. Yeah. So I don't think that would be, I mean, I, that would make sense that it is a cross cut scene, Mm -hmm. which is why it's not a new chapter because these two things are happening simultaneously. Um, You know, because it uh, says John at Fultz is in Hartford. Yeah. So for the so, long interdependence day weekend, which I would say, yeah, she, they probably left on Friday. You know, yeah. that's where I kind of came up with that. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And I would think that again, it could be wrong, but I would think that Pat is not doing three intake interviews on the weekend. Um, so that would make sense. And I know that there's one part in the book that's really spelled out. And it might only be in one paragraph that really lays out everything that's happening. I remember specifically Gately is laying in bed with his sleep mask on. Um, so there is one section in the book, and I don't think it's much past this, where it, at least reading it, the narrative is all in one place. Um, And again, thinking about the Sarpinski gasket and the fractals, like that's what my head goes to is that this one section, everybody's here. And then we fucking spin it up a little bit and, and yeah, let's start here. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, um, so I I do think that there is part of that. and it would make sense to me that this section is is cross-cutting for the simple purpose of it's happening at the same time. And if um, if we are to presume that this is the Wraith narrating it, we know that the Wraith can hop back and forth in fractions of a second. So, um, I mean, I think... I think we can agree it's not the same time, right? Um, because the the Port Washington meet is more than likely in the evening, or at least after school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and the Ennett House seems to be, I believe, in the middle of the day at one point, two thirty eight on the watch or something. Um. So yeah, I I think that that um is interesting and. I do think that at this section in the book, the narratives might be, or, or the timelines may be as close as they get in the book besides that one paragraph that describes what everybody is doing at that very moment. 
Um, and then, you know, again, we go for a little ride after that. Um, but parting thoughts, anybody? If ever he made you have anything, because I, I can just, I have a, one or two things I did want to say. Go for it. I would say I don't have anything. Well, I guess, because we also, um, I guess the one thing I would say is I think it's clear after reading the Jeffrey Day part that he was the one who said um, uh, logical validity is not a guarantee of truth. I think that that's pretty much what this whole thing is getting at, especially with like the number 90 end note where he's just like really like going over these different like cliches and all that stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it, it became pretty clear to me that like, yeah, he is the one that, um, that said that, you know, or that's his thought at least. Um, and then the other thing I was, he says one thing um, on page 1001 um, where he talks about, uh, it's like just a few lines down from the top of the page. And he says uh, this AA tactic of masking condensation with humility and sort of got me thinking about the idea of like masking what is like, you know, like I think that's something that kind of keeps coming up like throughout this book is like everybody's like kind of behind a mask of some sort, whether it's like, you know, Joelle, you know, or, you know, um, you know, Donald with a clown mask or John Wayne with whatever, whoever has the clown mask on. But, you know, I think everybody's sort of hiding something to a certain extent. And, uh, you know, it's something that uh, when I read that part in the footnote, it definitely sort of jumped out at me as like, oh, this might be like kind of a, not like a one, but like maybe a one C or one D sort of theme that's kind of going mm -hmm. on. Um, that yeah, I like it. Kind of pay attention to. Absolutely. Um, mm. Yep. I like that. Um, and, you know, we can just imagine, and, and really we don't have to, because uh, Wallace was very clear about this himself, that he was firmly in this camp of intellectual, you know, where, where you can almost see, you know, when Wallace decided, hey, I've got to get sober, I've got to whatever, you know, I, I imagine that he viewed the journey ahead of him as one of rigorous study. Yeah. You know, I'm going to find out exactly why my head is so fucked up and I'm going to do what it takes to fix it. And then he finds, you know, what this is what's going to fix my fucked up head. Do you know that? Do you know how much education, you know? I paid a quarter of a million dollars in 1990 money for my education. And you're telling me that just hang in there is going to fix it. Um, yeah. So there, there, you know, it is certainly a lot of Wallace in that. Um, yeah. And, and again, I, Doug Stanhope does a great bit on this. He talks, Doug Stanhope talks about how his mother was an alcoholic. So he kind of grew up in AA meetings and he's just like, he's, a, and he's an alcoholic. He's an unabashed alcoholic. And he says, so the first step, admit that I'm powerless. Oh, fine. Okay. I'm powerless. Now 
The second step is choose a higher power. If the first step is admitting I'm powerless, how is the second step choosing something more powerful? He's like, so on a goof, I chose vodka. Vodka is my higher power because it mixes with anything. You can drink it for breakfast. And, you know, so so we just went from there. And then, you know, and, and then he says, and, and you go through all this shit and you find out that what the medicine is, is prayer. He's like, you know, he's, I don't know about you, but if I ever go to the doctor and they say, you've got stage four cancer, I, you better get down on your knees and pray. I might want a second opinion. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it, and it's funny because all of these things, yes, he did them in a stand-up comedy routine. The same things are basically being said here mm. by mm -hmm. people right in it. Um, mm. so yeah, I, uh, I, I think that good place to wrap up. We got some good foundation here of the Ennett house and, you know, we have some of the AA chapters that follow are really, you know, they, they really kind of kick you right in the dick. Um, and for anybody that's ever been to, in AA meeting, um, I don't know how far off they are. I've never been in a meeting and heard someone talking about their step uh, sister being incestuously diddled mm -hmm. in a Raquel Welch mask. Mm -hmm. um, but you will fucking hear some shit. That is for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but guys. Thank you very much. It does look like this platform will work. I hope um, we will see how I do uploading it. Um, we will be in touch, but I would like to get together, if not next week, the week after, to try to get back to some sort of schedule so that we can finish this before the year of the dairy cows of uh, central Iowa or whatever. <laughs> so. That sounds good. Uh, All right. right, thanks. Guys, thank you so much. Good to see you. Thank you. Everyone. Good to see everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Yeah. Bye.